0: This is Cowboys on the Commons. It's a podcast about cooperative politics, culture, law, and economics, and it is produced by Solidarity House Cooperative. Universal basic income is a topic many of us affiliated with Solidarity House have talked about, researched, and been interested in. I gave an introductory seminar on it as part of the Materialized Empathy Project about four years ago. It's controversial to us only in the sense that socialists and cooperativists debate about whether UBI is the best way to implement universal satisfaction of needs. Are there other, more empowering methods that have more fidelity to socialist politics? And so on. It wasn't part of Bernie's agenda. And many people are suspicious of it being a libertarian stalking horse. But with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's become clear that there needs to be a way to meet people's needs regularly that isn't tied to capitalist structures of work. And in the midst of the pandemic, my former colleague at the Public Banking Institute, the founder of PBI, Ellen Brown, published an article, A Universal Basic Income is Essential and Will Work. It's available at her website, ellenbrown.com and also at several other outlets. In it, Ellen sharpens her arguments about the feasibility of UBI, that we can afford it the same way we can afford to bail out banks or write off other debts. That was the starting point of this conversation with Ellen and also with Jason Burke Murphy a philosopher at Elms College, and a media coordinator and content provider for Basic Income Earth Network and U.S. Basic Income Guarantee Network. Before we hear that discussion, I need to talk to you about a different kind of income, the income that we need to keep running this podcast. We make all of this content listenable for free, but we can't do it without your help. And frankly, we've lost some Patreon support from some really good people who are struggling like so many of us to get through these difficult economic times so please and if you could see me you'd see i was genuinely pleading please go to patreon.com slash solidarity house and become a subscriber today it's five dollars a month It gets you premium content like unedited interviews original music previews and in supporting us you're paying just a little over a dollar per podcast episode with a hundred percent of the money going into the production company and the commune it supports the only space of its kind in the state of wyoming and a beacon of light for the rocky mountain region solidarity house cooperative and the solidarity collective that's Patreon.com slash Solidarity House. We're hanging by a thread right now. And we really want to keep producing this content. Patreon.com slash Solidarity House. And now here's my discussion on UBI with Jason Burke Murphy and Ellen Brown. I'm looking at your article, which we're gonna which is really the center of uh, uh, or the starting point, I think, for the conversation. Um, And I'm reading, I want to read one passage of that article. The Federal Reserve alone could do the job. It could buy green federal bonds with money created on its balance sheet, just as the Fed funded the purchase of $3.7 trillion in bonds in its quantitative easing program to save the banks. The Treasury could also do it. The Treasury has the constitutional power to issue coins in any denomination, even trillion dollar coins. What prevents legislators from pursuing these options is the fear of hyperinflation from excess demand. Spendable income driving prices up, but in fact, the consumer economy is chronically short of spendable income due to the way money enters the consumer economy. We actually need regular injections of money to avoid a balance sheet recession and allow for growth, and a UBI is one way to do it. Uh, You and I have talked about the hyperinflation argument, and I've always been in agreement with it, but in terms of whether or not uh, this is something that uh, can be done, um, how confident are you that quantitative easing or the analogy to quantitative easing it can really be used this way?
1: Well, the, the technical difference between quantitative easing and helicopter money is that quantitative easing is supposed to be reversible. Uh, Whereas helicopter money, the term originated from a deflationary scenario. It was Milton Friedman said that it was easy to cure a deflation, which deflation is when the money supply contracts. There's not enough money in the system. He said you just fly with helicopters over the people and drop money on them. So if you did that or put money in their bank accounts automatically every month, uh, that That would not be money that you expect to to have returned, whereas uh, quantitative easing supposedly it 's the purchase by the Fed uh, or the version they did after two thousand and eight was the purchase by the Fed of uh, either federal securities or mortgage backed securities, and then the Fed was able supposedly to sell those back into the market whenever they needed to contract the money supply so So the bonds would go out and some money would come back to the Fed um, to pay for the bonds. But they tried that and it crashed the stock market and everybody freaked out. And so they reversed it and went back to, they bought the bonds back. So it was said that you can't reverse, you know, in practice, you really can't reverse quantitative easing just like you can't reverse the federal debt. it's We've got a $22 trillion federal debt. There is no way that we're gonna pay that off. And Everybody complains we're imposing that on our kids, but really the only thing we're imposing on our kids is the interest because the bonds are rolled over year after year after year. It's only the interest that must be paid. That's one of our mandatory expenses in the federal budget. And right now I think we're paying billion, something like that, I think we paid last year in interest, just just in interest on the federal debt. So if we were paying, if we could eliminate the interest, in other words, move all the debt onto the books of the Federal Reserve, we would save half a trillion dollars just right there because the Federal Reserve supposedly, well, they rebate the their profits to the treasury after deducting their costs so their costs do you know that means running the fed and paying 6% to the to the fed shareholders and such but anyway in theory it's reversible and so helicopter money would be money that's just rained into the economy and not brought back well, the quantitative easing was just rained into the economy and hasn't been brought back. And in fact, now they're pumping it up some more, and we haven't seen consumer pl- prices go through the roof like like it was predicted, not not like not a Zimbabwe-type situation where, or a Weimar Germany situation where the currency is completely devalued and you're running around with wheelbarrows of paper dollars and that's what people were predicting in after 2008 we did see inflation in the stock market and in uh, housing prices but that asset prices went up because cheap credit was virtually zero percent credit was made available to big investors and right
0: mm-hmm.
1: they used it to buy up all this stuff yeah and what I, in my article on that, I showed that there is an actual gap between what people are able to pay or people's actual cost of living and what they're able to pay without borrowing, and it's about 1200 a month. So if you did a $1,200 a month UBI, that would fill that gap. So that money, assume all of it went to pay down debt, it would be extinguished. Money is created as a loan and extinguished when the loan is paid off, which is a totally different issue that we haven't run into, but I could go into that if you want. So it, the books would balance, and it would not be inflationary. And in fact, the money would just disappear. We'd all, it would be the same amount of money in the circulating economy every month, although you would, you know, the interest would get siphoned out into the speculative economy.
0: Alan, your article concentrates on the how, uh, to have the how-to, which is really important, I think, as part of the political conversation, because feasibility—the notion of feasibility—is necessary for the ethos, if you will, of the public demand for UBI. Um, and I wanted to ask Jason um, what the 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 status of that de- public demand is. Are we in a, a new high in UBI support? What's the status of the of the current discussion? And if you wanna. Talk about how Ellen's uh, article may work in the context of the current political moment for UBI. You can do that as well.
2: Well, it's been very exciting. I, uh, I literally started um, on Facebook. Uh, I was the first person I started U.S. Basic Income Guarantee Network's Facebook page and Basic Income Earth Network's Facebook page. They're now in the tens of thousands, but it goes way beyond that. When I initially started figuring out one of the problems, uh, our organization were academics who could see basic income would be helpful, but we were the majority of people actively working to get it as a live option, right? It was, we, we were very aware of how very small our organization was, um, uh, just the sheer numbers. And I remember setting up a Google search for uh, basic income. Maybe, and maybe one other turn. I have more than one of those, and I would, get, uh, I would not get a hit every day. In other words, the entire internet, not every day was something new put out there about basic income. We're way, way, way beyond that now. Millions of people have heard about it and have said, that's a good idea, I would like to see that. I remember when advocating basic income or talking about the ethics behind it, I'm a philosopher, um, many, many scholars thought that I had made this up, thought that this was um, extremely obscure Uh, and advised me to kind of not talk about something so fringy. We're way, way, way past that now.
0: That's an odd thing um, to say, too. I have to say because anyone who's—I I, mean—I don't—I think anyone with more of a more than a cursory knowledge of like the history of economic thought would certainly see that UBI has been, you know, as Ellen talked about, Milton Friedman proposing it. Uh, right. It's been a, you know, it, it's it's been a fairly common proposal. Uh, Thomas Paine uh, proposed mm-hmm. a form of mm-hmm. uh, of UBI, and I think people before him did?
2: Economists liked basic income. They were easy. It was um, any of the disciplines outside of it. So a very large number of uh, political scientists are just computing uh, a lot of elections and voting. In other words, it really wasn't in the middle of other disciplines. Uh, philosophers who are political philosophers are often following the lead of other organizations. Um, Philip van Parish was the philosopher who really pushed basic income as something uh, that one ought to consider one ought to think about um, so it was out there, and it, again, the numbers were building. Uh, what really caused it to explode in the United States was andrew yang 's campaign and a lot of it I was worried about because most people in the primary uh, were backing another candidate, and so a lot of people I was worried were going to treat basic income as it's only this proposal because one of the walls that were up, as more people had heard of basic income, there were a tremendous amount of presumptions about what else comes with it. So about half the people you would talk to weren't that presumed you were cutting all other support and replacing it with basic income. And of course, Mm -hmm. Milton Friedman that you mentioned, that's what he wanted. Um, Or there's a presumption that it must be a certain amount. It must be replaced this. It must be funded this way. And I've noticed that that wall is coming down in part because so many people are looking at basic income in the context of the other work they do so that's why i think ellen brown's paper is exciting right we have um quantitative easing uh, we know it's important uh i'm familiar with the european movement called quantitative easing for the people that's developed but to have a paper out there that says basic income can be part of this here's a way to do it It's also proving that it's feasible. A lot of people, when I was talking about basic income early, thought it sounded good. They thought it must be impossible. There's a funny thing, it sounds so good, surely we'd be doing it if it were possible. And I think politically we've gotten a way past that. We know that um, power is just not distributed in a way where good ideas for the majority of people just naturally flow through our Political system. We're way, you know, most people know that's not the case. So we've got a different story of why we don't have it. Um, Hopefully, uh, we will have proof that it's possible. We've got a single stimulus check that's going out. I'm a little worried it's being so poorly done that it will generate skeptics, right? I have not gotten my uh, COVID 19 stimulus check, uh, and I know some folks who really, really need it that haven't gotten it either. So I'm I'm a little worried that people are going to be skeptical that way because an incompetent government has done it um, has done something in their way. And we're starting to see the Congressional Progressive Caucus has backed a, you know, an incredible bill that would have $2,000 a month for a year. Once that gets in, I think we're going to want to keep it along with other proposals like debt relief, widening access to uh, TANF and SNAP, just proving that there's no reason you need to cut other things to put in basic income
0: so much of your work, Ellen, from the public banking movement um, into uh, other uh, articles that you 've written about debt relief and ubi uh, are also you know have this this presumption that money is not like this scarce resource that you dig in the ground, and that things like debt are really constructs of things and and I wanted to ask that in the in the context of your uh, citation of this proposal that UBI uh, initially be used, or you know, maybe as a as a be prioritized in order to pay down debt. Uh, and how important do you think that is, or or what uh, what can you say about that in the context of this wider UBI movement?
1: Well, I know that there would, in these circumstances right now, where people are don't have money through no fault of their own because of a pandemic, it, they might. It might hurt them to require the money to go to pay off their student debt or something like that they might that's definitely
0: what carry, I was thinking, yeah
1: yeah, they might rather yeah. carry that debt and use the money right now because they need it. But things like your credit card debt I don't I think I saw a sit or I don't know like a, anyway a TV show about young people who just didn't understand how interest worked. And they thought as long as they paid the minimum on their credit card, they were okay. But what they didn't realize was that they were racking up 20% interest compounded annually on their credit cards. So they were racking up these huge bills. So so it, it's actually in your own best interest to pay off your credit card debt every month. So if it went to that, you know, to pay off their credit cards, it would it would cut down on their overall debt and, still allow them to eat. I mean, I can certainly see just giving people the option in these types of times, but but in ordinary times, it seems like it would be, a, might be a good idea to have them pay on their debts first, since they weren't really expecting that UBA. I mean, it's not like they, they're desperate for it to live like they are right
2: now. I was really glad to see the Progressive Congressional Caucus have debt relief and a basic income, which, again, I can use for rent. I can use for uh, medical bills. I can use for debt, student debt, credit card debt. Um, The flexibility of cash is the very thing a lot of people worry about. Everybody knows somebody who will do bad things with it. But we know that the vast majority of people will take care of themselves with it, and they're likely to set pretty good priorities or the very best ones. but to me, once you've secured 1000 a month, 2000 a month in basic income, I would love to see something like uh, make SNAP, something that can also go to pay debt. Give it to everybody, right? Why not have some targeted uh, programs as well that also give people the flexibility? People in debt need to negotiate with their debtors also. Having a program that only pays student debt is giving money to the particular lenders of that debt, Um, I would rather someone on the phone say, well, you know what, I'd rather pay this bill. And I think the debtors need to acknowledge the risk they took. I'm sorry, the lenders need to acknowledge the risk they took when they lent out the money. We never talk about that in a moralistic way like we do the debtors
1: and I agree that's the problem well, we've even seen with this PPP program how much trouble they have uh, getting it to everybody it, as soon as you start putting conditions on it you make it much more difficult to execute for starters if you can just give it to everybody that's very simple and you're you're going to have complaints for if maybe you don't have student debt but you do have mortgage debt or whatever And I think it is fair to let the lenders bear the... In other words, it's fair to have um, lenders write down their debt to something that's reasonable. That's what they should have done in the first place. As Michael Hudson says, they really have a duty to do that. Debts that can't be paid, won't be paid. If they know it wasn't gonna be paid, they shouldn't have made that loan in the first place. So, you know, there are other ways to deal with debt. But it seems to me that just focus on one particular debt, I agree, is
2: going to raise a lot of problems. I want to talk about something I really like in your work of getting, um, whether it's through public banking, quantitative easing, but a way of fixing the way that these markets treat people that are invisible in those markets. Um, There are whole communities. So Matt, you're based in Wyoming. Uh, I grew up in the Arkansas uh, Delta. These are areas where uh, finance capital just doesn't have a plan, right? Whole regions where finance capital just isn't really seeing the folks who live there. Even the Massachusetts where I live now, I'm in Western Mass. There's a couple towns here where, uh, if someone has a million dollars and they're going to invest, I I know they're not going there, so that kind of invisibility is um, well, it's behind a lot of the geographic inequality that we're seeing in the country. The basic income. What I like about it is people that are market invisible and politically invisible are still going to get a share, right? And they're going to get a share, and maybe those markets will be powerful enough to attract um, investments and maybe people in those communities can organize, whether it's intentional communities, co-ops, nonprofits, some of these other priorities will have a chance as more people have assets, right? They uh, live like people that own something because now they own this share. And uh, one objection that uh, that
1: you see on the right quite a bit is that this is the road to totalitarianism that they want us all to be dependent on the government and that they'll make it all digital and then they'll take away cash and then the next Mm. thing have you know injectable ids to prove that we've gotten our vaccines that kind of stuff um all of which could well be (laughs) plans in the minds of some nefarious masterminds but a universal basic income uh, of of itself is not the road to slavery, it's the road to freedom. I've lived on what you might call a universal basic income for 20 years, because I have a social security and I have a pension. And uh, right. so, and I'm freer than I've ever been. I mean, I can write whatever I want. I don't have a boss that censors my work or tells me I can't do it. I mean, I might have trouble getting a post in some places. But you see, my point is that it gives people freedom to actually maybe choose a different job if they hate their job. Um, You know, it gives them a little flexibility where they can, if they don't mind living like a starving student for a few months, they can look around for something else. You know, it's, it's just, it's a safety net that it seems to me, why do we even pay taxes? What do we want our government for? It's for the safety nets, it's for, uh, the things that we need the group for that we can't do by ourselves just by it used to be you know you staked out your plot of land the old sort of cowboy mentality that we can do it all ourselves and anybody who doesn't do it himself as a weakling you know that wants to a uh, hand out from the government but we're not there anymore you can't even if you wanted to you can't just go out in the wilderness and stake out a plot of land so we're totally dependent on each other, whether we like it or not. And it's our money. I mean, we it's based on the full faith and credit of the United States. And What is the United States? It's the United people. We are a union of, we are a commonwealth. The commonwealth was a great term, that we shared the wealth, not like in communism where some overlord decides how much we get, but that we shared it Democratically, in a way that you know we all had a had a part in deciding
2: where it would go and how it would go. As a philosopher, I want to be kind of I try to figure out how much I can say, and be sort of agnostic in something like monetary policy. And one fundamental value I really come down on is you have a right to whatever share you need to survive. And when I am dealing with other people, I need to make a plan. I need to check. I need to look around and make sure that I am dealing with somebody who is not exploited. I'm dealing with somebody who is approaching me in a free way. And I think people aren't free if there's a risk of destitution, even a remote risk. People are very high income, but right now they're worried about losing Everything. For sure. And the effect that's having on them, right? They shouldn't have to have that. They shouldn't have that fear, but also I want to know that people are dealing with me in a free way. I was in a restaurant in New York where um, the actors sang. These were all actors trying to get in Broadway, and this is where they're working. So, where the waiters and the servers uh, did song and dance numbers. And I remember just hoping that this isn't, that's just is something they want, right? Am I dangling my money in front of them and making them sing and dance? That's not what I want. I want this to be a, a fun exchangement. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. exchangement. That's not a word. I want it to be a fun exchange where I want to see this, they want to do it, they want to do it for money, and they're getting it. And it all kind of works. That's a relatively trivial example. Of course, this extends to all kinds of moments where people hire other people. And I've been in rooms where nominal. Uh, leftists right? we talked about basic income and folks say I'm super duper left or often they'll say I'm super duper liberal but if we have basic income who's going to clean these classrooms right I've been in a room where people have said that and and I've said you don't have the right to use starvation to get people to clean up after you cheaper that's not that's not a it's not a human being's. It shouldn't be in a human being's toolbox. We got to take that off the table and then find out what people um, think is a good price for the work that they do.
1: So I'm chairman of the Public Banking Institute, and the website is publicbankinginstitute.org. And my own website is ellenbrown.com, and it has all my articles on it. I do have a new one coming out shortly, um, and. Uh, We also have a radio show uh, called "It's Our Money," but it's all on my website. Anyway, uh, we have yeah, we have lots of things upcoming, but they're posted on
2: my website. So thank you very much. At basicincome.org, you can get links to uh, U.S. Basic Income Guarantee Network and Basic Income News. This can be very handy. Um, You'll see headlines that aren't hundred percent right. A recent headline announced that Spain has implemented a basic income, and I wish it were true, Right, Uh, but it's basic income news that actually gets on the phone, finds a journalist who knows Spanish and English, and knows what basic income is, and then we verified, "Eh, that's awfully close, actually. I mean, it's interesting, like here, everywhere is looking into it. Um, The other group I would look out for um, is the Poor People's Campaign. Reverend Dr. William J. Barber wrote a beautiful piece on basic income that he Posted on his Medium page. So if you search him and in basic income, and the Poor People's Campaign is starting to see how important this is. Martin Luther King, this one of the last policies that mm-hmm. Martin Luther King put his name to, and they see themselves as continuing his vision. Um, and then I'm looking at um, Yang's organization, Humanity Forward. Um, is you know where do you characterize Yang ideologically? I'm I'm less concerned with that, what we're finally getting is something that will keep track of which elected officials actually are endorsing a basic income. So we're going to have a nice actual, the kind of information that we need to be able to lobby hard for basic income and figure out who we need to talk to um, and who we've already got on board.
0: Your support on patreon.com/solidarityhouse ensures that we can deliver this content to the public for free.